Welcome back to another episode of I Am. Oh, Welcome back to what we're classing as an emergency Oyam episode. Obviously, with the government's announcement that um, the COVID 19 mandates have been dropped, is a big issue that we feel as Oyam um, that we need to cover immediately because, of course, we've spent so many episodes talking about why they're so good. And then suddenly they're abandoning them in the height of a COVID 19 response. So we do need to make this emergency episode to get our take because, of course, everyone listens to us. Uh, on this particular uh, issue. But before we do begin, uh, we're going to introduce everyone. We've got a bit of a full house here today, apart from Jack, but um, which is, well, he was here last week. What's new, exactly. Um, welcome back uh, to you, Case. Uh, you did miss the last episode yeah, from the beginning the of season two, but what we're going to do, and what we're going to do is that we're going to call that last first episode of season two as like the trailer episode, which isn't yeah, really an right. episode. So you The big reveal is my return. The big reveal this, is this, it was scripted. I wouldn't be there actually. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I was ready and rang, and I was told, "No, no, we need to bring you in later." <laughs> so, welcome back to you. Um, it's great well, to have you back on the show. Sure. We missed your perspective last week. Um, of course, welcome to Samantha, who wasn't there last week. But like, what's new with that as well? Um, <laughs> great to see you on board again, and of course, as well as Kate. Great to have you here. You really are now. If we're going to talk about Oyam tokenism at this point, you really now are our forty-hour workaholic token. Now you're the token forty-hour workweekaholic. Um, yeah. uh, so you have that working class experience and perspective to bring to the table, especially when it comes to COVID nineteen. You're working class now. <laughs> you are working class with the rest of us. are all like the aristocracy. Nine to five. Nine to five, Dolly Parton, it's a good time. Um, however, we want to really hear about your perspective, Kate, in terms of like what it's like to be on a frontline worker, um, because of course you work at a retail thing that you know requires close contact with people that could potentially have COVID-19. So we're going to explore that a little bit and um, your feelings on that a little bit later. Um, do you have anything to say, Case, in terms of introducing people? Me? Yeah. Oh, let me think. It's been a while. I missed the episode a bit. I'm a bit off my game. You are a little bit. Perhaps an introduction to Charlie. Thank you for joining Thank us you. again, Charlie. Thank you. Have oh, you ever <laughs> missed an episode? Never. Never. Seriously, I am the only one that has never missed an episode now. Oh, good. Looks like our special guest is ready to be introduced. Um, so because, of course, we've got... Um, such a big issue here in terms of the mandates. Um, we wanted to bring on a few people that we've met, Samantha and I have met through uh, Victoria University, like our tutors and stuff like that. Um, so we wanted to bring one of those people on today who is a bit of an expert uh, in like the communication field um, to specifically talk about how kind of like the communication area of the mandate um, and stuff like that in terms of like with the, with the protests and the mandates being dropped, like how that was communicated and could we be looking at a potential like communication crisis uh, in that area. So we're welcoming um, aboard a person that is a registered speech teacher, a highly experienced speaker in the topics of race and international relations here at Victoria University, an award-winning poet, 
who holds an advanced associate diploma in public speaking and communication teaching and advanced associate associate diploma in public and speaking and communication performance. So quite a mouthful there, folks. I've got a list here. Um, <laughs> I was like, there's just so much information because there is so many uh, credentials. So can we please have an almighty pucky pucky for Ethan Templeton joining us here today, folks. Thank you so much. It's truly an honor to be welcomed back into the OYAM space and to be given this platform uh, to discuss issues that are dear to all of our hearts. So, so big ups to you guys for your warm hospitality. And I'm excited to get into some uh, delicious discussion about vaccine mandates. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Ethan. Um, your qualifications in uh, communication are really, really relevant um, for this discussion. And we really wanted to hear your perspective uh, in terms of a communications expert about how the Prime Minister communicated the vaccine mandates being dropped and is that a concession to the protesters? So we'll be hearing that a little bit later in our discussion. But before we do, you have indicated to me that you have a poem for us. Absolutely. As I an award-winning poet, I think you have the legitimacy to read a poem. Well, I think it would be a rite of passage for me to do so. Mm. Um, so today I'm just going to read you a poem that I wrote a wee while ago. Um, now, of course, everyone will have their own interpretations and their own responses. You know, that's that's like the divine beauty of poetry, right? Uh, however, for me, this poem speaks about uh, the inner motivation after tough times and moving out of um, this, this sense of comfort into a world of instability and freshness, mm. which... I think is very topical during this episode and the world that we live in now. Uh, so considering the changes that will come into effect soon, and I'm sure we'll discuss that, um, a lot of people might just be saying, you know, oh, well, I can't do this right now, but I assure you they can. So I present to you this poem called Self-Evaluation. You say that you are fine with working your nine to five, with being in a state of comfort, being sensible and calm, but you're not fine, are you? You want more. Let me paint you a picture. Two eyes and two ears, a chin and a mouth, four gills and six nipples, two kneecaps, <laughs> a muscular build, a rectum, a penis, and the nose. What did you see? Was it the great Tanifar, the one killing coral reefs and stools of endangered fish and anyone coming near its touch? Time's ticking. The reward for its capture, or the riches, rewards, fame, happiness, and success humanly possible. So let me ask you, will you take the risk? Why are you still here and are you still fine thank you very wow. much thank you Ethan, wow. for that uh, as an award-winning poet um which ethan is an award-winning poet um <clears throat> aren't we all <clears throat> now because yeah. of that <laughs> i don't think we've been awarded that poem the one <clears throat> that poem was just a um a fraction of um, the pieces that Ethan has um, written. Certainly, um, I think it is very topical in terms of COVID-19. It really sort of spoke to that feeling <laughs> of, I just can't do this anymore. That was the sort of feeling of COVID-19 um, kind of coming out there. So I'm not sure if you agree with that, but of course that interpretation um, is certainly up to me in terms of the work. I'm not sure if that's what you're trying to emulate there, but 
certainly a, a well um, crafted piece. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, Thank thanks you for very sharing. Much. Awesome. Um, now we're going to be moving on <laughs> to the topical issues here, folks. Folks, we are at a decisive point in our COVID nineteen response here in New Zealand. Obviously, with oh, the you're getting close to the camera there, Charlie. You're excited. Oh, oh yeah. Um, excited. <laughs> Um, so we've obviously had the Prime Minister announce that there is going to be an end to the um, specific elements of COVID-19 mandates, um, looking at, in terms of government departments, looking at the police uh, sectors, so getting rid of the vaccine mandates in those areas, as well as um, for all businesses, unless they want to keep a vaccine pass system going uh, there. Also getting rid of the QR code scanning, which has received mixed responses um, from people uh, across kind of the, the, the spectrum. We've got people on the left saying that this is going to be um, having our immunocompromised people uh, sort of put into a, an extreme amount of danger. Uh, we've got people on the right that were at those anti-mandate protests, etc. that are saying that this is the result of their action, which is quite ludicrous if we're being honest, and we'll explore that a little bit later. But one of the questions that I want to pose, firstly to you, Ethan, is who do you think is benefiting from all of this, all of this communication, et cetera? Um, yeah, so who do you think is benefiting from all of this? Well, I mean, and in terms of um, benefiting from, you know, taking away these mandates and, and the restrictions, which, let's be honest, the restrictions are, that are just there to protect everyone, um, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, if, and I'm not, I, you know, I don't, I'm sure we all don't like to stereotype but we've seen the live streams and we've seen the media posts. Um, so these people that are all for the dropping of the mandates and probably a bulk of those protesters who were um, who were down in Wellington, not too far from where we are, you know, definitely white men, most probably supporting the more right side of politics. You know, they probably dress like your dad on vacation. They definitely drive the BMW from the 90s or the thousands. It's dinged up, but they think they're cool. Bonus points if they're from Southland, like probably in Invercargill, let's be honest. <laughs> I definitely think it's it's the people from Invercargill. No hate to Invercargill. My dad's from my dad's from Invercargill. Oh, it's in my blood, it's in my DNA. It's your Tudanga um, YY. It's my Tudanga YY, one might say. But um, I definitely think that is who's gonna benefit most. But for the rest of us who, you know, we've we've gone by the rules, um, we've accepted. Um, the changes which are relevant to the time that we are living in, we aren't going to be drastically affected by this. We were affected by what happened before. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's really painting a, a very um, specific image there. Um, obviously, you've targeted Invercargill here very uh, directly. What about, like, let's say Dunedin? Is that a place where we're sort of seeing this kind of hubbub going on? Or would you say well, it's more of an Invercargill-based thing? Well, I don't know. I don't want to single out Invercargill. I think Invercargill is a beautiful city. Um, so no really? hate in Chicago. Is that, is that <laughs> what's your logic I, there? <laughs> my dad's from here, so I have to say that. Oh, I, I see, I see. It's family obligations. Um, I think, <laughs> Dunedin, you know, I think um, people from Dunedin are going to be immune to coronavirus anyway because of all those couch fumes from the burning couches. <laughs> so I think, I think they're going to be fine. That's so good. That's so good. I'm, I'm really impressed with that passionate response there, Ethan. Okay, I'm going to open it up to the panel. Um, who do we think is benefiting most from these um, vaccine mandate um, getting rid of, well, ugh, it's, it's a Friday, I'm tired, getting rid of, who do we think is benefiting most from 
uh, getting rid of the vaccine mandates. Kate, do you have a point? Rich white people specifically um, and those who are not so immunocompromised. Why specifically rich white people? Um, because, Can you expand on that point, please? Well, I deal with a lot of rich white people all day in my store. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Paper class. And they seem to be the ones who know that they have the money to pay for medical treatment if they did get COVID. They're the ones who don't care about other people typically. I'm not saying all of them are, but a lot of the time they don't really care about other people if they're going to get COVID or I don't know, all about that type of jazz they don't want to wear masks because it's uncomfortable to them and they don't care about anyone else it's there's just a lot going for them and it's the rest of us that like you look at the Maori rates of COVID like it's quite cultural based so the families all get COVID or get sick can't afford bills can't afford to take time off of work is there's just a lot of issues happening and it's it's really scary I'm really scared for all this stuff to go down the drain because if me and my family got COVID it would all be over <laughs> yeah it certainly feels that um in terms of the getting rid of the mandates that there is a disproportionate um, effect it's going to be having on people that are immunocompromised and it certainly doesn't feel like there has been much policy discussion and thought to those who are immunocompromised which is kind of what the point of the vaccine is in the first place it is a community effort there to protect the people that cannot get vaccinated and the vaccine mandates are there to ensure that our society is adhering to what is supposed to be societal responsibility well as a collective we are supposed to be you know not only responsible for ourselves and the actions of ourselves but also responsible and caring for how other people can't necessarily um you know uh, be protected from something as much as let's say you know ourselves or whatever um and so for the government to abandon this policy that they've been sort of propping up on a stick it does feel like a little bit of betrayal when they were talking about like be kind you know um aroha, all of those kind of concepts that are supposed to be about get vaccinated for the people that cannot get vaccinated or can get vaccinated and are still immune and compromised. And then suddenly to say, well, we've done all we can now. Let's throw up the white flag and like the French in 1940. Uh, and let's just say, you know, no more vaccine mandates. Uh, what are we I thinking? Think what you mean is like the French. Isn't that what I said? No, you specified it to 1940. Yeah, because 1940, World War II threw up the white flag. Just like the French. Okay, thank you for that point, Case. That really <laughs> contributed to the discussion. Cheers for that. Um, no, I agree, Charlie. I agree. Wonderful. Um, uh, I'm just going to mute you um, <laughs> uh, until I finish. Uh, so opening it up to the panel, um, what are our thoughts about why the Prime Minister has done this all of a sudden, why the government has done this all of a sudden? I'll unmute you there, Case. There we go. You're back. No, I not. think I think one of the reasons why it's happened is because the numbers, the voting numbers for Labour um, have gone down a fair bit. And I think that letting loose these restrictions is probably beneficial to Labour. Not that I'm like anti them or anything. and But I think that was like maybe a small little bit of it. But I don't think that was the full reason. And I'm not saying that it is. I feel like the people 
I feel like um, it's gotten to the point where New Zealand politics is polarised enough where the people who wouldn't be voting for Labour due to the vaccine mandates aren't going to switch over because they drop them. Uh, I see yeah, a lot of, you not. know, Facebook is, is the area to look when you want to see these people's perspectives. Um, and Napier News. <laughs> Napier News is the place to look, I'm telling you. And you see on there all the comments are basically just saying Jacinda is dropping them now because she needs the votes. Uh, it's a ploy. Uh, she doesn't care about the people, etc., etc. Mm. Do you have a bird? Yes. I, I was just like, is that a monkey? Is that a bird? What the hell's going on in the uh, Tarpany household? Oh my God, there's a bird! Uh, just for listeners who are unaware of... Actually, this is a great segue uh, to... Uh, promoting our Instagram. Please, if you are listening, do follow our uh, Instagram at or at or young podcast. Uh, you get to see beautiful things like birds in people's houses. Um, okay, yeah, certainly there's some fair points there um, in terms of why the government has um, abandoned the vaccine mandates. But this creates its own issue as well. Is abandoning the vaccine mandates giving validation to anti-vax protesters, which could widen the field into giving validation to conspiracy theories in general, because they feel it's a win for them. And that is merely giving them the ammunition that they need to pursue other topics and other conspiracy theories, especially when we've got big issues like um, Three Waters and uh, Hepuapua being implemented into governmental uh, policy. What are our feelings around this, this giving of ammunition to people that are conspiracy theorists? I think that no matter what happened, that they, yeah, they're always going to find ammunition. That's what conspiracy theorists do. They just dig up anything that they can find. They twist it to themselves. Um, but I feel like uh, the government knew they couldn't hold these mandates for much longer. You know, it was always going to have to end at some point. They just knew um but why why would it end in the middle of an omicron outbreak like we're at we're getting huge levels of increases special guests you've indicated uh you wish to comment Hello, my return um <laughs> i don't know i think um in relation to that oh cases put up his hand um <laughs> i think in relation to that i am because you know you bring up the timing of this i do think it has something to do with the fact that christopher luxon old mate from the national party um, old May that tried to copyright Kyura. Um, you know, he tried to, well, he's been going out for months saying, well, if you elect me, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. So I think it's very relevant to what Kate said before about this idea of the vote grading, really. Mm. And I, I don't want to agree with that because I, I would like to believe that the Labour government is above the fact that they are pandering public health to, you know, mm. to pander to um people that protested on our parliament's lawn and spread human feces everywhere. Like that's just feral. Um, but yet I think that you're right. I think they are pandering to that. And because Christopher Luxon has said, well, if you elect me, I'm going to do this. Um, Auntie Cindy said, mm. and I think that's why we might. It certainly is a good point. And I, and I completely agree with you, um, Ethan, on that point around that the Labour Party is vote pandering because there is no other way to kind of justify what's going on at the moment without like 
looking to the political situation because to end mandates in the middle of an Omicron outbreak when we've just hit 20,000 cases a day is seems really ludicrous. Like you'd think you'd be ending mandates when we're getting to a point where like we're going down the peak of Omicron, not when we're still reaching that peak. So it does feel a little bit ridiculous. And this certainly has come out of like Christopher Luxon's, as Ethan has said, his constant campaigning about this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be doing a median between what the anti-vax protesters want and what the, what the government's doing right now. But but hasn't this dangered Labour's base? Because Labour's base is one that is very much pro vaccine passes and vaccine mandates. If you look anywhere on like Twitter or Facebook or, you know, and they're not necessarily critical news sources, um, but there are a lot of Labour Party voters, like union voters, who have very, very explicitly said that this is such a disappointing move because as a base voter, as where Labour's core is supposed to be, vaccine mandates is a big part of that policy support. And to get rid of that is almost to abandon that base. And that risks them moving to parties like the Greens and to party Māori, you know, especially with Māori vaccine rates as well. So isn't this just a terrible political move, even if it is a political move? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And I think what you, you know, if we are analysing what Labour's trying to do here, they're trying to vote grab from these people over here that, you know, they they want the mandates gone. However, I think, um, expanding on what you were going to say earlier, the Greens are doing the same thing. Because as soon as the government came out here and said, you know, we're, you know, we're going to get rid of these mandates, you saw the Green Party do, you know, I saw it on Instagram, they immediately went out and said, this is, this is the wrong idea. Um, we need to keep these mandates because we are not over it. And I think it's just a discourse that this podcast in particular has. And so I think what, what we are seeing here is that Labour is trying to take votes, and this is just my personal opinion, Labour is trying to take votes from um, the National Party, whereas the Greens are now trying to take the more liberal wing of the Labour mm. Party. And that is concerning because if we have a Labour Party, especially under Jacinda Ardern, because I completely agree with your point there, Ethan, as well. Um, if we have a Labour Party which has modelled themselves as a progressive party that is here to change New Zealand for the better, you know, supporting welfare, um, uplifting the lowest classes of New Zealand, um, and then suddenly we have this pandering to centre politics and trying to like do this national Labour nonsense, then aren't isn't the Labour Party going against its core principles? And I think for Labour voters, they're going to very, very clearly see this this time. There has been this in the past, but this time it is very obvious because it doesn't make sense why they would do it. You know, nobody can justify it. Not even the hardest, not even the hardest Labour supporters can justify why this would happen. And as a, you know, as a very, very pro-Labour supporter, a member of Vic Labour, a member of Young Labour for many, many years, um, for this to happen has angered me and has actually pushed me out to consider voting other parties or even just do a, you know, um, a kind of confirmation against uh, the Labour Party itself by not voting at all. So I think we're going to see some interesting results certainly heading up to 2023. Any other thoughts on this particular issue? Yeah, I mean, uh, I have to agree with what both of you have said. Um, especially like you guys were saying with it's supposed to be peaking around early April. Uh, so to be dropping it then when it, we're expecting it to peak uh, really doesn't make any sense from a scientific point of view. Uh, so then it comes down to, well, why would it be doing, why would Labour Party be making this move at this time? And it comes down to politics, which, uh, like you say, would worry a lot of Labour voters who typically you would expect to be more left-winged uh, and worried about those things mm. like public health. 
So what you're doing in making this move is you're putting public health at risk in order to, to try and gain votes, but in doing so, you're just losing votes. Yeah. Samantha, did you have a point? Well, yeah, I thought that um, they were saying that the, we've already started to come off the peak. No, 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 they've revised the their data. Yeah, no. Oh, um, my goodness. It's supposed to be peaking early to mid-April, and then it's going to be a slow, slow decline. decline. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with Case there. Like putting, but also it's it's quite a it's quite a disgusting form of politics if we think about it because to put people's like immunocompromised um, people's you know th their their health at risk in order to gain a few political votes is quite a disgusting pol political move, especially when you think of like the very basic role of government is to protect the most vulnerable in our community. You know, if the government isn't even you know achieving that objective, then there certainly are questions of what is the point in having government in the first place. If the government is not here to protect the health of people at least, and you know make sure that the community that pe surrounds people is healthy. And then they're, instead they're focusing on the main thing that people hate about politics, which is politics. You know, it certainly brings the question up of like, well, what are we actually paying these, you know, politicians $200,000 to do? To pander or to protect people's health, which would be keeping mandates until this, you know, Omicron peak, you know, resides after April. Maybe drop it in September sometime. Maybe on September the 20th, because that's my birthday. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, maybe September 19th. <laughs> 19th, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly for me feels very, very a very disgusting form of politics, mm. very shady oh, yeah, form I agree. of politics, especially when it only they only did it like four days after the poll showing that National had overtaken them in the uh, One News Courier poll, um, overtaking them in from like thirty nine percent. They were on thirty nine percent National. Yeah, they dropped down to percent Labor. Or something yeah, like it wasn't a great yeah. poll result for Labor, but that was because they lost a lot of that because a lot of those anti-mandate protesters were on the left wing uh were considered you know some of them were labor voters and they instead went and voted for people like to party mardi or you know some of those new parties like matt king's new party <laughs> um but yeah so it does feel very political and it's very obviously political it wasn't very well handled i don't think um from a communications point of view um i'm not sure if you watch the prime minister's press conference i'm not sure maybe little bits of that i'm not sure there ethan mm. but um how did you feel that the prime minister conveyed the message to the people was it a good form of communication or a bad form of communication or okay so controversial i actually have not seen the press conference about the, the most recent one about the dropping of the um of the mandate so apologies to everyone however what I did see actually, and what I do want to talk about because it's similar, is um, Jacinda Ardern's response to the um, to the police action on Parliament grounds. And um, I thought, from you know, someone who has spent a lot of time looking at speeches and looking at how leaders communicate to audiences or to um, the country, but we'll say the audience. Um, I thought that was um, a very clear speech really, because it's communicating to the whole country in a way that wasn't watered down, where it looked professional, but it also was very clear and as to exactly what Oh. ...is immaculate. This is chef's kiss. Um, and so I think her communication in that regard is um, strong, strong mm. and um, admirable. But now the question is, two, two weeks later, 
is um, the policies which she, you know, we heard two weeks ago in that really immaculate speech, you know, oh, well, we don't stand with these people who are anti-mandating, you know, that's, that's not what New Zealand stands for, and well, here we are. Yeah. It does yeah, feel like I mean, the timing is... Sorry, Case, you go. Yeah, I mean, during her speech and certainly uh, in the interviews and things that I've listened to, she... um doesn't even give them the power of saying they were even mandating uh, or sorry protesting the mandates um she was so dismissive of the actions they were taking there saying it seemed like an anti-vaccine stuff like that um it really is kind of revealing to see her now completely switch script uh and now stop the mandates so yeah i definitely agree with uh, ethan there yeah, um, I feel like that, that that brings up the valid point of like political communication timing is that to kind of like put everything on the line in the last speeches around the sort of like the police response of being like, they are not us and all of this. And then to suddenly be like, oh, yeah, we're like conceding to their demands, though not saying that in practice, it certainly felt like to people who were very kind of like anti anti the anti-mandate protesters to suddenly and being very supportive of the prime minister even people on the right side of politics you know like in the national party wing they were very supportive of the prime minister and being so direct about yeah. not giving these people legitimacy but then to get rid of the policy that they're protesting gives it legitimacy which is like kind of really bad political communication timing um and it's kind of we've reached this kind of point where we're like oh this feels so wrong in every possible way um, and one of the things I want to point out in terms of communication and why I want to talk about the Prime Minister's speeches a little bit more is that there's been a lot of criticism by Tover O'Brien, um, Mike Hoskins, you know, these um, some of these media sort of like... Mr. More, Hunt. Mr. Hunt. Some of these more predominant media uh, people around the Prime Minister's, the length of her speeches, you know, how there's been a lot of criticism about the start of her speeches where everyone's like, oh, she gives a big spiel about a big story and then suddenly we move on to the topic of it. Um, mm. Is that a bad communication tool or is that something that actually resonates with people or is that just creating boredom in the household? The Oliver technique. Yeah. Okay, great! <laughs> <laughs> Who was that directed to? I was just directed to the panel. Oh, okay. Well, I think... Um, <laughs> there we go. My opinion, you guys are welcome taking one for the team here. Um, <laughs> I, I I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, thinking back to maybe like the first lockdown or definitely that second snap lockdown where within 24 hours we are all within our houses again um, last year, um, I definitely agree with you, you know, we were all in kind of that state of shock, that state of personal emergency, you know, kind of what on God's earth is going on right now, and here we are at 1pm, those infamous 1pm press conferences, miss them dearly, good to see Ashley Bloomfield has brought them back, um, you know, we had Jacinda Ardern, um, you know, all we wanted to know was the case numbers, what's the situation like, and then we had for about 10 minutes or something, you know, well, we need to be kind to people and you need to get vaccinated and you need to do this and you need to do that. And then we got to case numbers. And I just thought um, as a, you know, as someone who might write a speech or has given speeches um, in a public forum like that, you wouldn't do that. I, I personally don't think you get mm. to the main point, you get to what your audience wants to hear, which on a national audience is the case numbers or the crucial information. And then you get to the flowery stuff. 
However, as someone who writes a speech to play devil's advocate here, I can see what she's trying to do here because she's sustaining the audience because we knew that that was going to come. So we are keeping on watching and we have to go through all that boring stuff. So I can see why she's done it, but I can also see why people are peeved off. Mm. So I, I think, I think you know, um, there is always two sides to the story. And I think that's the other side of the story there in terms of the structure of how she put her speeches. But in saying that, you know, we had those press conferences daily and I felt like a lot of that preamble before the important stuff was for a lot of the time repeated yeah nothing those tv those scary tv ads which makes me feel like I'm some unlike some dystopian nation with like the thing they can't tell me you know yeah no I I completely agree um certainly um that's been in the although Mike Hosking takes it maybe a little too far in terms of personal attack I think there is certainly some communication critique to be done there um, because it does feel like you're being a bit schooled. Like it's almost like you're feeling yeah. like you're a bit like you're back in primary school a little bit. I think I saw someone on Twitter comparing it to, and I was like, yeah, you do. Mummy like, is telling me off. Yeah, mummy is telling me off. Exactly. You feel like a bit of a kid, which I mean, the mother of the nation persona kind of probably worked for her in terms of like the 2020 election, but yeah. I'm not sure if people feel as time. kind of attached to the PM as much as they used to, certainly with these political moves that we're starting to see uh, from the Labour Party. Um, yeah. But other than that, in terms of, like, mandates, um, do we feel that they are still relevant? Are they still relevant? Or is this being the good time to get rid of them? Um, but specifically not mandates, apologies. Mandates, why am I saying mandates? QR scan coding. QR scan coding, QR scanning, <laughs> QR scanning. We got there at the end. Very briefly, well uh, because we've, we have got very limited time because, of course, uh, we don't have Zoom premium yet, but we will get that. Hey, if you want to sponsor us, Zoom, we're yeah. open. <laughs> yeah, please. Check out um, our Instagram. Check out our Instagram, exactly. Um, but, yeah, the QR scanning, do we feel that getting rid of that mandatory requirement is also a good step here as well? Because it feels like it's a two-pronged two-prong attack, mandates, mm. and QR code scanning, which is kind of like the bulk of the COVID-19 response. It's just like, boom, gone. Um, well, so, I wouldn't say it's the bulk, but, I mean, obviously yeah. with the mandates, but uh, I'll just say I think it was getting to the point now, especially with all the different rules when it comes to close contacts with um, Omicron, uh, the QR scanning was becoming very, very redundant in some ways. Uh, and along with that, there was also the fact that there's been a steady decline in the number of people using it anyway. So um, I feel like, I mean, did it need to be done? Not necessarily. Will it have an impact with it being gone now? Probably not, but that's my perspective. Yeah, um, if I can just expand on that. So um, when I when I had COVID and when I had to give, you know, hand over your diary and stuff like that, I pretty much got told they, well, I didn't actually have to hand over my diary from my, as far as I can believe. And they pretty much said that anything that I was going to hand over in the diary um, was pretty much useless, my tracking diary, because, you know, I think what we have to understand at, at the moment, there's so many people getting COVID. So the everywhere at this point is a location of interest. So I think scanning in was a brilliant idea last year when, you know, we were getting a hundred cases a day. And, you know, we think of the small Hawks Bay, you know, I remember when my workplace at the time became a location of interest and we all, we all went into a flurry. 
However, it's probably a location of interest every day at this point. Um, however, now because of the situation, and I completely agree with you, it's redundant now. Because of the status quo that we're in, we have no need for it. So I think getting rid of QR code scanning, I mean, personally, and I'm sure you guys can also agree, I've stopped scanning in yep. um, purely because what's the, you know, the fact that I did it for so long and then they said, yep, thank you mm. for doing it. Uh, you've got COVID now, but we're actually not going to use that information. I was like, well, then But why? the problem with that is, is, is like they didn't communicate that. That, that was the issue with it. It was like QRs go, can, you know, the scanning and is gone. But before that point, as you say, in terms of them needing any of that stuff, they didn't need any of that stuff. But why didn't they communicate that clearly to us? That, that that's, that's so, it feels I so feel wrong. Like, I feel like that's just another political thing. It would be bad for them to now come out and say, hey, uh, we had this thing and it was working, um, but it's not anymore. Our plan is no longer working. And it's falling apart, so we're just going to stop it now. That is, I think, that would just be another blow that the Labour Party weren't really willing to take. Um, so now that they have this dropping, it's almost as if they're hiding it there. Um, and it, and it's just another way for them almost to appease the protesters and stuff like that. Those people saying we want change, they're saying, well, okay, okay, you want change? We'll get rid of the QR scanning because it's become redundant. It was most likely on their list to do eventually for a long time. Um, yeah, and it would probably be bad for them to say it was working. Uh, now we've been ignoring it for some time, so we're going to drop it. I don't think that would have been a good political move for the Labour Party, and that's probably why we didn't see that happen. Yeah, but the result is is that in terms of like if we're gonna if we're gonna go into the world of politics here, is that not admitting that, or at least not admitting some of that, has resulted in a very 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 clear um, sort of revolt from the base of the Labour Party, where they feel like they've been doing their duty, they've been scanning, and like they've been told they're suddenly being abandoned, that they feel that they have been abandoned themselves by the government that they were giving their duty to to protect the people in the community, and there certainly has been a bit of a movement to like continue to. Um, scan in any way, even though it's not going to be used, to continue to scan in any way to kind of like rebel against the government. Yeah, so we're going to leave that on that point because we've only got less than a minute here, according to Zoom. I will get um, pro so we can continue some of this discussion a bit more. Obviously, the episodes have uh, decreased in time versus when we were in the studio at Radio Canapas. But other than that, thank you very much to everyone for joining us. It's been great discussion today. Um, thank you to Samantha Case and Kate and, of course, to our special guest, Ethan, for joining us today. Uh, we hope to and see you on future you, episodes. Charlie. Thank you so much, Case. Um, I always am joyed to do this podcast with you folks. Uh, Thank you very much.